And you know, in our uh, passage that we just started to uh, look at, in uh, 1 John, uh, you know, there's a couple of interesting phrases there when John is uh, uh, saying to his readers, look, I was there, I saw him, I touched him. But he calls Yeshua by uh, a couple of very specific names in those first two verses. And it's so appropriate, uh, uh, frankly, for us uh, today. Let me just uh, read the first couple of verses of 1 John 1 and 2, because I just want to mention these two names and what they mean to us today. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we behold with our hands, handled concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So, it's very interesting. He mentions life three times in reference to Yeshua. That Yeshua is the life. Capital L. He's the life. He is the word of life. He is the life. He is the eternal life. He doesn't just give those things. Uh, he, uh, uh, it's not uh, talking about how he taught or... It's not talking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, our own lives that may last forever. It's talking about his life. He is the word of life. Now, you know, in the Jewish world, you have to frame this a little bit in the Jewish world, that there is this life, and then there is, one could say, the life to come. There's this life, and there's the life to come. We like to use the word the world uh, to come, or the age to come, and it is very interesting, I think, uh, the way John and others in the Brit Hadashah put these words uh, 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 together. Because Yeshua, when he's called the word of life, he is the life to come. He is the life to come. Yeshua, uh, being uh, uh, the very incarnation of God, manifested in this world, demonstrated not just life in this world, but the life to come. And in his resurrection, in his physical resurrection, which John is saying, we saw, we felt, we touched. This is the life. This is the life uh, to come. He's the word. Now, you know, you go back to the gospel of John. He's the word made flesh, but he's the word of life, the word of the life to come. In fact, isn't it interesting that um, at the beginning of verse 2, it says, and the life, the life was manifested? I would suggest, I, uh, or wonder, I should, say, I should say like this, I wonder why it's not capitalized, why the word life there is not capitalized. It's kind of interesting. Because the life was manifested. That is who Yeshua is. He is the life to come. And then it says he is called the eternal. He is eternal life or life of the ages. Uh, it's, um, uh, it's fascinating. He is like the new age life. I know we don't like to use new age, although it's so out of vogue from the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. But that's in the, in the Olam Haba, Yeshua is the Olam Haba, the world to come, the life to come. That's who he is. And when we embrace him, we 
now abide in that life. That life. So it's like living in the future. That's why we say, you know, Israel's future today. Or we would say living in the kingdom today. Uh, we are uh, living in a way, we could say physically, in anticipation of that day with, with an understanding that we are living like ahead of time. Just kind of like Yeshua, you know, who is the king. But he wasn't manifested as a physical king of Israel uh, in his uh, life, but he was the king. So, you know, he was the future. In the future, he'll be sitting on his throne. But he was the servant now. The king was the servant now. He is the king, but manif being manifested as, as a, a servant. And so we are living that life in the future now. Now, why do I, why am I, Howard, why, on a day like this, why are you talking about all that? Because we need to remember it, see? We need to remember it. We need to reckon it. If you like to use the King James Bible, right? We need to reckon ourselves as living that life now. Like calculate, you know, figure out that that's the life we're living now. And then we're supposed to remember it and not identify ourselves as the world may identify us or by what happens to us. Uh, we are identified by who we are in Messiah. And when we do that, when we follow what John is saying here and recognize that our life is in him. So, by the way, just as an aside, remember that when you use the word eternal life, it doesn't mean that your life now is going to last forever. It's not what it means. That is not what it means. Okay? So, like, when I became a believer in 1976, I prayed to receive the Lord into my life, and, and now I have the gift of eternal life. It doesn't mean that Howard's life goes on forever as just me. No, now I abide in his life forever. Yes, and I will live again. There will be a resurrection from the dead. And the reason then that it's all that we'll have a body that will match who we really are is because our life will always be tied up in his. And that is what Paul was saying in the most one of those famous, famous passages, you know, in Galatians chapter 2, uh, in verse 20, when he says basically that he's died and his life is not his own, right? You know, right there in uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with the Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So he says, I've been crucified, but he's still alive, right? I mean, he's still alive. He, he, he did not actually, you know, die, all right? Uh, this is not like, you know, on the radio, J. Vernon McGee, right? Dead, but continuing on, you know, in the miracle of uh, radio uh, for, for years and years and years, right? So when he says, I have been crucified with Messiah, it's no longer I who live, he means that's how he understands himself. It's not just a metaphor. That's how he understands himself. You know what I mean? He understands, okay, I know I'm still alive, but I, my worldview, my mind is such that it's his life that's being lived out. See? And when we live that way, and when we remember that, that is when we can turn to a passage like Psalm 27. And we can own it. Okay? So now let's turn over to Psalm 27. See, Psalm 27 and so many of the Psalms, like all of them, are written by people 
who already know God and love God, but are sometimes in a struggle, are, uh, you know, face difficult circumstances. And so it's very important when we read the Psalms that, first of all, we say, okay, see, I'm like that person. And I say, own the Psalms. You know, pray them like they're your own, your own prayer. You don't have to take them apart, just internalize them, you know, because this is who we are. If we understand that in Messiah, our life is in him, certainly we can forget that because of all the kinds of things that go on in the world and all of the cares that we have and all of the difficulties, whether it's being uh, persecuted by evildoers uh, or just the stuff of life. We can forget, and we start to sink, see? So we need to be reminded of, of uh, who we are. So then when we come to this passage, we, uh, we say to ourselves then, what kind, of life, uh, what kind of life is this life that we have? What kind of life is this, uh, you know, life in the capital L life, this life in the future that we're, still live, that, that we're yet living today, present but not yet, we like to say? Well, one thing that life is, is confident. Confident. And notice what we see here uh, in the first three verses of Psalm 27. We see confidence. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rises against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. So he's not saying that obviously nothing bad happens, but he says when bad things happen, I won't fear. I'll deal with it, but I won't fear. See? Because, uh, and it's not because, you know, there's difficulty, right? But what he's saying is he won't fear because he knows that his life is wrapped up in God. His life is wrapped up in God. Now, you know, uh, when he says the Lord is my light and my salvation, light means so many things, uh, you know, in, in the Bible. Uh, light is a euphemism for, uh, for everything of God, for righteousness, for truth, for understanding, for security for guidance. One of, the, one of the places early on where we read about uh, uh, light uh, in the nation of Israel is in the tabernacle, right? That uh, God gave them light uh, uh, in the tabernacle uh, as he guided them. You read that in, uh, toward the end of, of, uh, of Exodus. And so God is light, and we know that Yeshua is the light of the world. The world is always considered in the dark, darkness. And so think about all those things, you know? Uh, uh, attitudes, sinfulness, rebellion, that's darkness. Light is obedience, trust, righteousness, the presence of God in our midst, uh, life itself. So the Lord is my light and my deliverance, my salvation right? He is my deliverer. So whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense or the stronghold 
or the refuge of my life. Whom shall I dread? He's the rock. He's the one I go to. No matter what happens, it's not only when we're spared physical harm or danger, but no matter what, he's my rock. See, because everything that the psalmist knows, even if he only knows it in vague terms historically at this time, is that there's more to whatever there is now. There's more to life than whatever there is now. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but all the way through the Bible, they're always looking forward to something. Looking forward to getting to the promised land, looking forward to the defeat of enemies. I, I, even the, the prophets, and it's so quite clear in the prophets, who, who prophesy foreboding evil, still say, that, but it won't be the end. You know, it won't be the end. There'll, there'll, there'll be a restoration. There'll be more, you know? And of course, you know, the, uh, so many of the prophets say it, but just the one who comes to mind uh, in my head right now is uh, Habakkuk, who at the end uh, has this understanding, and he's able to say, uh, though the fig tree should not blossom, in verse 17 of chapter 3 there, uh, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he makes my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. In other words, secure in the most uh, difficult places. Secure in the most insecure situations, see? Secure in the most dangerous of places. Because Habakkuk recognized that loving kindness is better than life. It's not just about my, my, my physical uh, uh, safety, but what, it, what this is. I'm part of something much bigger than all of that. That's what he came to understand. That's what the prophets were inculcating, and that is what... David here understands as well. Because of his nearness to God, because he was a man after the heart of God, he could say these things. Now, this psalm is understood to be a psalm that kings would say periodically, like on, a, on the anniversary of uh, when they became the king, so that they would remember that when they would go into battle, that this was not just a nation going into battle, but this is the covenant nation going into battle. And that no matter what happened, that God would indeed be there. So they, they would pray, he would pray with a confidence. And so when we, are, when we remember this kind of life that we're called to, and when we remember who we are uh, in the Lord, we can come to God with a confidence because we recognize that our hope is not in what we see, that this world uh, uh, in its rebellion is not the world that ultimately uh, will be. And so we can um, uh, pray with confidence. We can live with confidence in God, despite great difficulty. This is not saying, you know, I have confidence in God, so I'm going to close my eyes and walk, walk across the street uh, because nothing will happen to me. That's not what that means at all, okay? Uh, but it means uh, having confidence in God because he owns my life. My life is in his hands. I have confidence in him. 
There's another thing that um, is cultivated when we recognize, when we remember whose life we live and where we abide. And that is single-mindedness. Single-mindedness. Look at the fourth verse. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate uh, in his uh, a temple. It's interesting. You know, you don't read that anywhere else in the Bible. One thing I have asked. One thing I have asked from the Lord. That is single-mindedness. Now, you know, I'll bet he's asked some other things of the Lord from time to time. But you know what he's saying here. This is the main thing. The main thing, Lord, for me is that I may dwell in your house. Now, so the question is, does this mean uh, that... Um, what I need is a cot and a little room, you know, somewhere in the temple, uh, because then I don't have to go outside to drive to services on a cold day. Or I just really enjoy, you know, the ornate beauty of this place, and I just never want to leave, okay? Well, probably it's neither one of those things, but that he recognizes that the place he wants to be is where God is. Who knows? Maybe he was standing in the temple when he said it. Who knows? But, uh, the well, not in the temple. It was David, pre-temple. But David uh, wanted to be where a, a god is. And, you know, again, this was repeated by many of the, the kings. Uh, and that is what, that's what this verse means. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And we could say that to, to behold the beauty of the Lord, or the magnificence of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple, is to, in our heart and in our mind, to remember where we are and whose we are. See? Remember, uh, I think I said this a few weeks ago, that, you know, when you read a passage like... Um, I'll read two real quick. One is in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, um, here we go, uh, in verses 5 and 6, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Messiah, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. Yeah. So, you know, you ever wonder, like, so, I mean, does that mean that our head should be, literally be in the clouds? I mean, because it seems to give that impression, uh, as if to say that what God really wants us to do is, is like, just ignore this world. Not, not, not fear, but ignore it. And just, like, have my head in the clouds. That is not what that means. Not what that means. So how can I be in heavenly places with Messiah? Well, in Colossians, a couple of doors down, okay, I, um, in ver chapter 3, it says, if then you have been raised up with Messiah, keep seeking the things above where Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. And then he goes on to say what he means. Therefore... Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, 
which amounts to idolatry, i.e. darkness. Okay? So that little phrase right there in verse uh, 3, your life, for you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is our life, by the way, is revealed, you know, then will be revealed, who is our life. This is how he, this is Paul's self-understanding. And this is what he's trying to explain to the people living in these cities, these Messiah followers. This is how you need to see yourselves. This is how you need to understand yourselves. So when we talk about renewing our minds, this is part of renewing your mind. Recognize, view yourself and your surroundings and this world through that lens. Don't ignore the world. Don't live in the clouds. But don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked into its fears. Don't get sucked into its way of life and all that it values. See? But remember whose you are. Your life is hidden in Messiah. And so, therefore, our whole life is like an anticipation of the future. We're like living the way we'll live in the future now. And by doing so, we demonstrate that life. And we actually have the opportunity to change the world by living that way. Of course, just like in our own bodies, it won't be until the resurrection. The day will come when there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But by the, by the way we react, by the way we act, by the attitudes that we have, by how we uh, uh, live, how we think, how we talk, living this life of confidence and single-mindedness will lead to a daily trust in God. And so, uh, it's interesting that you see here in verse 5 uh, of uh, Psalm 27, for in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, I will sing praises to the Lord. And isn't it interesting in our Torah portion we're talking about the tabernacle, and the tabernacle functions in a lot of ways, but one way that the tabernacle functioned, it was a visible presence of God so that God could dwell with the people. And so when he says that you will conceal me in your tabernacle, I will be in your presence. Even if I have bloody hands, even if I'm in a war, even if bad things are happening to me, I'm in, I'm in your presence, Lord. You know, we sometimes sing a song, I love this song, in your presence, that's where I belong. That's where I am strong, in your presence. See? What this means is that we do not let the world around us pull the strings. We do not let the world around us decide if we're going to be sad, or if we're going to be scared, uh, or if we're going to be joyous. But we trust in the one who is our stronghold, the one in who is our refuge and that is the God of Israel and what Yeshua came to do was to place us in place himself within us abiding in us and us abiding in him in a way that that the prophets had to look forward to the Olam Haba dwelling in the presence of God yet we do so yet it's like in a bubble in a way in this world and that's what Yeshua was talking about 
when Yeshua was talking about this kingdom is like a mustard seed, or the kingdom is like uh, uh, the kingdom is like uh, grain, a seed that's scattered. You know what he's saying is is that the mystery of this kingdom is that right now it's invisible. It's invisible, but it's powerful and it's great. And sadly, it can even be rejected, like the story of those seeds tells us. But you see, we dwell in that kingdom, and Yeshua is our king, yet to be manifested in this world. And we are his rulers and priests, also in a sense, yet to be manifested in this world. But that is the mindset that we have, and when we do so, we have a daily trust. Okay? Because now, look what happens in verse 7. Suddenly in verse 7, he's not, he, now he's praying for help. All of a sudden, he's in the presence of God. He's victorious. He's confident. Now all of a sudden, he's praying for help. What gives, David? Okay. He says in verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. Wait a minute. Why is he crying if he's so confident? There's no crying in the temple. Yes, there is. Okay. Be gracious to me and answer me. When thou didst say, seek my face, my heart said to thee, thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide thy face from me. Do not turn thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. You have been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me. How could he pray, don't abandon me, don't forsake me, when he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? How could this be? Right? He goes on to say, uh, when he says, Do not abandon me or do not forsake me, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach, my, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and, su and, and such as breathe out violence. David understood, first of all, intertwined in these verses, that when, when adversaries are coming against him, they're coming against God. When they're coming against him, they're coming against God. You know, and it is quite interesting in our own uh, week of events here that, um, you know, nothing happened because somebody looked at somebody, with, you know, uh, the wrong way. Or, uh, you know, you personally gave me offense. When the fellow came here last week, it wasn't because, you know, uh, uh, we hurt his feelings. And so now he's mad at us, right? Same thing with this uh, uh, situation Thursday night. No, it's, it's darkness against light. It is uh, truth against falsehood. It is good against evil, the good of God against evil, you see? And that's exactly uh, how uh, uh, David understood it. So that's why he says, false witnesses have risen up against me, such as breathe out violence. But why does he seem to to be vulnerable now. Why does he say, Lord, I, I, you know, help me, don't, don't give me over to them. Why would God give, them, God give him over to them? How could that be if he's just... Because you see, his confidence is in the Lord no matter what. Yet, breaking news, he was a real person in real life, in real life situations. And in real life situations, people who are thinking People who are confident go to the one in whom the confidence is and pray. Not 
pie in the sky, not clouds in the, not, not head in the clouds or in the sand, but recognizing perhaps the gravity of a situation, and you go to the one with whom you stand on the solid rock. And no matter what happens, my, my life is bound in his. And the marvelous thing for us is that that life has now become manifested. We don't have to keep waiting. Maybe someday that life will become manifested and we'll just have that hope and die in that hope. But that hope has been revealed in the person of Yeshua. And so now we can experience that transformed life so that when we face death or persecution in the eyes, we can say, I know my Redeemer lives. I know in whom I trust. And us even more so than Job because that life has been manifested in us. And that is exactly what, what Paul is talking about, you know, about Yeshua dwelling uh, in his life. Now, you know, in the book of Hebrews, we read there, first of all, in the first, uh, in the 11th uh, chapter, at the beginning of it, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hoped for and not seen, okay? And so faith is, when it looks like all hell is breaking loose, I am in heaven with God right here. I am dwelling in heavenly places with the Lord right here, right now, even though hell is all around me, so to speak. That is the mindset. That is the renewed mind. That is what we reckon. That is what we understand. And that is why it is so important, my friends, to be in the Word. That is why it is important to have fellowship with each other. To, that as, we, as we confirm these things to each other in our lives... And that is why in the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms are actually uh, uh, statements of affirmation that the psalmist in his prayer to God is remembering who he is, remembering his confidence. And so there in Psalm 27, he remembers that confidence, remembers that confidence so that when he prays, when his life is in danger, he knows in whom he believes and where he stands. And so therefore can have extraordinary courage and strength because his strength and his courage is not in his own self and his own ingenuity or in his or her circumstances. And so faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You know, another thing to say about that is, if you should ever read a Siddur, and you know, on a cold night by the fire, you might want to open the Siddur and read it. Because you know what it's filled with? It's all about hope for the future. Almost 100% of all that liturgy, which are really like great prayers, by the way. Sometimes, sometimes liturgy kind of has that, you know, liturgy. These great statements of affirmation and trust and hope. And those prayers are what the Jewish people have hung their hats on for thousands of years and why in the face of great adversity the people can continue because when we sing Aleinu, we're looking forward to that day when every knee should bow and every tongue should confess God, right, from, from, the, from Isaiah. But Paul basically repeats it, applying it to Yeshua in Philippians chapter uh, 4. Uh, and so much of, you read all of it, it's, Lord, for example, every morning, no matter how cold it is, and in the dark oftentimes, Lord, restore David, restore the throne, restore Jerusalem, you know, restore the temple, no matter what. 
And that prayer was said when there was no Jewish Jerusalem and there was no Jewish Israel. And Jews were uh, the object of genocide. Jews were praying that because we believe, we believe what God will do, what God will do, what God will do. May we get it that we now have him, the king, even though that kingdom is not physically manifested yet. It is manifested in an invisible way. I like to use invisible because it's all spiritual, okay? And, and so when we come together, there's life when we come together because we become like this physical manifestation. That's why we love each other. That's why we're into each other's lives, see? For moments when we have to be, so to speak, in the game. In Hebrews, uh, farther down in that chapter, in chapter 11, as we're just about finished here, in verses uh, 13 to 16, it's an amazing little statement. It talks about Abraham and Sarah and their faith and so on and what great men and women of faith they were. All the, Verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Oh, may we remember that. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has uh, prepared a city for them. We are aliens and strangers in this world. We need to remember it. We need to internalize that. While we live in a country, while we live in a place, we are, as we see in another place, citizens of heaven. Again, not heads in the clouds, but we live according to those rules. We live according to that king. And he has empowered us to live in that way. And what we do as we anticipate the future, we practice living in this way. We practice it. You know, and we, we uh, for example, in our, in our community, when uh, we need to bear with one another or forgive one another, wow, that's great practice, so that when we're in the world, we're ready for it, you know? Between uh, practicing uh, this loving kindness and practicing godliness and the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, we are able to withstand the wiles of the enemy, the darts of the uh, enemy. And so finally... Here in Psalm uh, 27, he says toward the end, in uh, verse 13, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That is a great verse. He doesn't say I would have despaired unless I was, uh, unless I was plucked out from this bad situation. But he says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord, and the land of the living. The reason he is not despairing because he believes in the Lord despite the circumstances. And he sees that there really is going to be a day in the land of the living. The point for us is I, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God. He's talking about something that has not yet happened. That is where his hope is. And so verse 14, may I suggest, is not the last uh, 
part of the prayer, but it's actually a response. That the last verse, may I suggest, is a response to the prayer or the answer to the prayer. Wait for the Lord, which by the way, kava, which tikva, hope, hope, wait, same word in Hebrew. Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. By the way, the very same words that Moses shared with his protege, uh, Joshua, about being strong and courageous. See it right there. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. That's the bottom line. Wait for the Lord. Even if you don't see the deliverance, there's a better place. There's a, there's a better life. There's a day coming as we live in it, as we hope in it. That is where the power is to be able to live in the midst of this world in a courageous and victorious way. As you know, there are tons of passages we could turn to. When you get home, read uh, Romans 8, you know, uh, about even though we suffer uh, in the present day, it's not compared to what will be revealed uh, 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 to us. In 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks about the great inheritance that we will have and that we need to remember it even though right now we're going through various trials. In the Brit Hadashah, there is great understanding that we go through very difficult situations because we live in a rebellious, dark world. But we have been transferred out of that dark world to the kingdom of his beloved son. And so we live in that way in the midst of this dark world. And that is where hope, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, and all that kind of stuff comes from. That's what it means, indeed, to abide in him. And just the last thing, you know, when Paul is talking to uh, his protege, uh, Timothy, he uh, says this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse uh, 12. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. May we not be ashamed. May we stand firm. No fear. We are people who pray. We are people who stand firm. Our battle is not against flesh and, flesh and blood, but, about, but principalities and, and uh, powers of darkness. And we know that in Messiah we have indeed the victory. Let us walk as one uh, as we continue and always will continue to be a light in this community for our people Israel and the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the confidence that we have in you. We thank you, Lord, that we do not shrink back. We thank you, Lord, that uh, our trust, our confidence in you is, is not based on our particular comfort level, but on your calling and on being in your presence. Lord, thank you that when we dwell in your presence, there is peace. When we dwell in your presence, there is comfort. When we dwell in your presence, uh, there is assurance. And thank you, Lord, that you've given us this day, this Shabbat, as a moment in time for us to rest, for us to be restored, uh, for us to be reassured, 
Lord, and we thank you, God, uh, that you have brought us indeed to this place. And as we interact with each other, as we understand who we are and as individuals and as we are as a community, may we rest assured, Lord, that we are uh, in your hand and that we will indeed never be ashamed of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for the life in Messiah, the future that we can live today. And we pray in Messiah's name.